In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey everybody, welcome to The Counter. I'm Chris Corman, joined by Steven Ruiz and Charles McDonalds, the uh, expert football writers for For the Win. <laughs> Guys, what's going on? All right, none of you are going to take a cramp break during this. Oh, season, no, right? no. I got my no. cramps in earlier today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a big cramp later in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you're cra- you, it sounds like you guys have like timely cramps like you know when your cramps yeah are, i mean you, know? you, you, you gotta get on a little cramp schedule you know it, it, it's really good for the soul and for your body in general uh, the doctor likes when you have regular cramps so uh that's, that's good uh we're gonna talk about a bunch of stuff today we are obviously joking about the lamar jackson situation in the Ravens Browns game uh, maybe the best game of the year uh, it's just a fantastic game the other night uh, a little bit after we recorded our Monday show uh, so we want to dig in on that eventually also going to look at some of the things we wrote this week Steven just moments ago Thursday afternoon dropped a piece on Justin Herbert and how he's proof of how hard it is to really evaluate quarterbacks uh, and that's something that Steven has been doing for years. So it's, it's an interesting piece. I'm I'm excited to hear that conversation and hear what Charles has to say about that. We're also going to look at the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and if there's potentially something that could help them. I I think we all agree that they're uh, that Ben Roethlisberger is so much of a problem right now that uh, he really is holding them back. Charles wrote that uh, earlier in the week that, you know, his contract is really sort of dimming what should be a good future in Pittsburgh. But Stephen took a look at some film and, and had an observation. So we'll dig in on that. Charles uh, unleashed his first four verts column on Tuesday this week. I want to go through that and, and talk about some of his observations there. These two also combined on uh, a longer piece where they looked at sort of the main thing that each team that's out of contention, what they're missing and how they could turn things around for next season. One of the great things about the NFL, that's actually possible. (laughs) You can, most teams are uh, just a few fixes away from being right in contention. Uh, And then we will preview week 15. We were, man, we were just looking at the schedule. Not the, not the most exciting week. Uh, The chief saints game, uh, man, some of the shine came off with the, Saints losing to the Eagles, and uh, I guess it looks like we think Drew Brees might end up playing. How sharp he'll be after an extended absence when he wasn't all that sharp at other points this season, who's to say? Uh, But we'll preview all that, and it should be fun. Uh, What do you guys – I want to know – Jason Garrett is the big name with uh, with COVID this week, right? Like he's he's the guy who (laughs) – like the NFL is is getting pretty lucky once again that that's – that's the main person. Anything else going on on the COVID front? I mean, not that we know about. 
Right. <laughs> I I think it it just seems a little bit too quiet. It's also funny that I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's like this trend of like any time a team is on a bye week, oh, someone gets sick on a Sunday. It's just magically uh, that coronavirus only attacks teams on bye weeks. Uh, but or yeah. the day after, or like didn't like three Ravens test positive like the yeah, day after the Browns? Hollywood, yeah. Hollywood Brown and those yeah. two rookie receivers they drafted. I think Duvernay and Prochet right. both. Uh, tested positive, which is, you know, timely, I guess. Uh, and I guess it's interesting that no one caught it between Des Bryant getting it in now for the Ravens. Uh, you can just think about that. Just let that sit in your mind for a little bit. If you're, if you're in conspiracy it's all, it's theories. All, it's all very convenient. It's all very convenient how it goes. Uh yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah they, we're going to talk about the, the Jason Garrett absence later. Uh, Charles wrote something about that, but yeah, that really feels uh, there are more and more players coming out and saying like uh, Lamar Jackson himself said that his cramps may have been part of uh, having COVID and, and his body recovering. I think Calias Campbell said that he had a, a hard time coming back from it. So we're starting to get like a little bit more. I mean, football players are just conditioned to not really admit any weakness uh that's sort of a normal thing in the game uh so it's it's slowly trickling out now that it has actually been tough on on these players to get a virus that is completely decimating the population so uh, i'm sure that'll continue to emerge yeah <laughs> now, now let's, AFC, now let's cover the football yeah yeah that's how that's how that's that's how the show always goes. Just depressing. Well, we, this time we started off with some poop talk, and then oh, sorry, I gave away the, the metaphor. The cramp talk. We need we need some music. We need like some soaring music to get us into it. Like some like old school ESPN. Like dun, 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 like really get going. Uh, let's talk about this Justin Herbert piece that you just moments ago published, Stephen, and. and uh, <laughs> this one I, I love because it's you. Uh, you have been trying to rank quarterbacks. You've been ranking draft quarterbacks uh, since we've been working together. I mean, it's more than half a decade now. Uh, and a lot of it, like, it gets read like crazy. I mean, I, I would say that if we were to go back and pick the things that you've written that the most people read, a lot of them would be quarterback list some of them would be like when you pick uh fox cartoons and make fun of them or when you talk about how um gordon bombay is not actually a good hockey coach uh you, those posts do well too but people love to read about quarterbacks and, and you've been doing it for a long time and i think you've learned a lot of lessons and uh un- unfortunately if you google steve don't do it uh you'll find you'll find a few just a few uh references to his patrick mahomes scout before mahomes was drafted uh where he thought mahomes was was fairly flawed and and probably would not be uh even a good nfl quarterback let alone can i at least defend myself like i gave the pick a c minus which like they're worse great i've seen some of you your guys's tweets in the grammar and i know you guys got worse than c minus so don't act like that's a terrible grade yeah, I mean, but but the the point of this one today is essentially that it's all voodoo. Like it's all you know, like picking, figuring out what 
QB is going to be good is really hard to do. And you, you watched Justin Herbert last and I remember this, you were watching his film. Like you got a big batch of college film, went through it and you were just like, wow, this guy is really bad. And he's really, he's missing on all sorts of throws. He's, he's not doing basic things. I don't see how this translates to the pro game. And he has just destroyed all that. Like he is everything that, you could ask a rookie quarterback to do. He has done it. And uh, so I think you went back and sort of tried to figure out what happened here. You tried to marry this, you know, your, your pre NFL scout and what you've actually seen. And like, I like your conclusion. Cause it's basically just like some guys get better. Like some, some guys just take giant leaps quicker than anyone believed they could and get better than like that. Cause they're 20, 21, 22, year old kids who are still growing, still figuring things out. Like it just happens that way. Uh, so tell me what you saw when you, when you went back and looked at this film. Like I've gone back and watched other players that I may have missed. Like I've watched Patrick Mahomes and been like, yeah, I'm an idiot. That was just, I just didn't know what I was watching, but like I went back and watched Herbert from Oregon yet last, uh, last year. And he, he sucked. <laughs> he stinks. <laughs> and I was like, this is not the same player. Like he was missing the throws he's making now in the NFL. And he's like evading the rush or he's evading the rush in the NFL, but he was like struggling in tight pockets against PAC 12 players. So it doesn't make any sense. And like, I just think we'll all feel better as an NFL observing community. If we just accept the fact that we don't know anything and that we're probably going to be wrong and that our <laughs> draft takes stink. <laughs> Charles, what do you think about uh, just the idea of like trying to evaluate quarterbacks and what makes because it's so important, but it also remains. It just feels like it's out of our grasp. Like it's not something that you really can do very easily. Yeah, Herbert was a weird eval coming out of school because I I, I tend to like guys that like at least statistically perform well, and right. Uh, right. because you know I, I remember back like way back in the day before we started doing this stuff like full time. Uh, like I was kind of intrigued by Deshaun Kaiser and looking back, like if, if you can't even operate a college offense, what are we really doing here? So I, I guess like at a baseline level, it's good to see that like in college, Herbert was a guy that had the tools and could at least operate Oregon's offense efficiently, even if there was stuff left on the table. But, you know, this is not the same player that he was last year. And the thing to me is like it's it just crazy how he's been able to figure out how to be accurate, like really just all the levels of the field. The game that, that still sticks out to me the most is that uh, the game against Tampa Bay where they're just blitzing the hell out of him and it, none of it faces him. He's, he's throwing that deep bomb to Ty Johnson, throwing another one, uh, like falling off his back foot. He just makes it look so easy. And I think that maybe the takeaway is like you should just – if we're, if we're going to start from the standpoint that like – Everything is so specialized once you get like from high school through college where, you know, these guys are really only just playing quarterback and not doing that many other sports. Maybe it's good to just take roll the dice on these guys who already know how to play quarterback from a baseline level that just have the uh, the physical upside. Like guys like Josh Allen and Justin Herbert, where it's just the, the physical talent is so overwhelming that you just kind of believe that they'll figure it out with the right coaching. I, I guess. You know, they, they've both landed in the right spots. Uh, and Herbert, you know, I think he had a, he had a higher floor than Allen did, but it's kind of cool to see uh, these guys who just have overwhelmingly, overwhelming physical talent kind of figure it out in 
learn how to play efficient football in the NFL because that's not who they've always been. Right. Steven, you included a, a tweet from the famous Mike Renner uh, of PFF, uh, and it's from April 13th uh, earlier this year, way, way back. Man, that feels so long ago. Uh, the one stat that would terrify me if I'm considering drafting Justin Herbert or Jordan Lewis is this percentage. Jordan Lewis. Catchably. Uh, Jordan Love, sorry, a percentage of uncatchably off-target throws targeting when an open receiver is 5 to 18 yards downfield. Uh, Tua was at 4.3. Hertz was at 5.0. Burrow, 5.1. Love was at 14.1% of target of uncatchably off-target uh, off throws. And Herbert was 18.1. I mean, that's like, I mean, so basically you're just isolating throws where like a guy's open and all you have to do is throw it to him five to 18 yards downfield. And these are just horrible misses. So Herbert was missing almost one out of five of those. Uh, is that just a, sm- was that a small sample size thing? Did he fix a mechanic? So, I mean, like what, what happened that he was able to, to do? Uh, I'm not qualified to answer the mechanics question. Like I, I, I don't yeah. know. I'm an idiot when it comes to quarterback mechanics, but like the stats match up with the film from last year. Like he was an inaccurate quarterback and now he's just making all of these tough throws. I feel like the throws he's making now are tougher and his on target throw percentage has actually gone up a percentage point, which is wild to me. Right. And like, there are some, some clips that I include in here where you can't really blame the offense. There's one clip where he's staring at a receiver running wide open, like 30 yards downfield with like a defender five yards behind him. And he just doesn't throw it. He scrambles instead. I, he's a totally different quarterback. I don't know what changed. I, I can't put a finger on it. I don't think you could blame it all on Oregon's coaching staff. Cause then you would have to give a bunch of credit to the Chargers coaching staff, which is a coaching staff. A lot of people have criticized. I don't, I don't know if they just turned him into this great quarterback in one off season and it wasn't even a full off season or maybe just Herbert matured and grew up and just got better. Yeah. Charles, I want to get your thought on Steven's closing. He sort of presents an idea here at the end of this story uh, about what explains somebody like Josh Allen or even Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert uh, basically hitting when, the the trend was sort of like ah, let's let's be cautious with guys who are big QBs with big arms like we have we've seen and and that maybe didn't obviously Patrick Mahomes produced in college he was in an offense where everyone produced but maybe didn't produce the way that you'd want to see in college there was so much hesitation with those guys but Stephen posits here that that has changed because uh, the spread concepts that are being a adopted by NFL coaches from college are allowing coaches to simplify the game for quarterbacks. So whereas previously the focus when you were scouting a quarterback is like, how well does he think the game? How, you know, can he read a defense? Is he processing things correctly? Uh, And since some of that has been taken away, the importance of that uh, has been mitigated by the, the, what coaches are able to do with schemes and with how they're setting players up. It's more important now to have a guy with the physical tools to then be able to carry out what the coach wants. Uh, do you see that as you sort of watch film and, and are evaluating this? I mean, do you think that's a plausible explanation for how things are shifting? Yeah. I mean, I think in general, 
you kind of want to have the guys that I mean, I mean, this applies to, this applies to a lot of positions, but it's good to have the the guys that are more athletic than the other guys and more right. and, and just better athletes in general. So if you're starting from a place where, oh, you know, the the college, uh, college like you, you see stuff from Saturdays on Sundays now. It, which makes sense because you kind of have to cater to the talent that's coming to you. If, you, if you're going to be a guy that's out here running split backs all the time, like it's freaking 1990, then yeah, you're probably not going to be very successful. But if you can kind of uh, adjust what you do and how you think about the game and apply that to, I, I guess, a, a way that suits NFL football, then I think that you can be pretty successful and also be someone that has uh, success like right away with the, with a young quarterback. And, you know, I, I guess maybe for all the faults that the chargers have with just like horrifically awful game management and uh, just right. really poor luck, I guess, uh, you know, there's maybe there's something to be said about how well they've been able to get just yeah. Herbert back on track. Like it doesn't have to be a compliment to chargers things. So I don't think that that's something that we should do, but we can compliment this. It's <laughs> one small facet of what they've been able to do. And, and you know, you look at the bills and uh, you look at uh, what the chiefs have done with Mahomes, And it, it just says, you know, maybe if we're going to actually look at these concepts and, and bring them from college, maybe we should just take some of the more physically gifted guys and just see if we can turn that into NFL, uh, you know, into NFL stars. And I think there's also something to be said for, for guys who take on a big load in their offense, uh, you you look at Lamar Jackson and, and they've really fallen apart without him at Louisville. Uh, even Deshaun Watson, like there's a little moment after he left where uh, Clemson wasn't just racing through defenses like they do now. Uh, Josh Allen, I mean, for as chaotic as a player he was at Buffalo, I mean, that offense probably wouldn't have done much without him either. And, and you look at Mahomes too, like, 41 touchdowns to 10 picks his last season, you, you kind of got to have a little special talent to do something like yeah. that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I think we should be looking at these guys like, you know, if you're if you're really going to take on the load for the entire offense in college and still make these throws, maybe there's something to that when it comes to NFL valuations. One thing I want to – Charles, I want to know, how do you know about 1990? <laughs> oh, because uh, I'm a weirdo and I go back and I watch old clips all the time. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, that's like years before your birth. Yeah, you just, yeah. you, I'm a 94 baby. Man. Steven, that, uh, this, this, this guy's grinding old film. I know. I need to step my game up. But I, I think <laughs> like, this shows that we need to reassess what we consider a pro-ready quarterback. Because yeah. I've always thought that was like just a dumb label. And like the opposite was actually true of some of these quarterbacks that have come out. Like Josh Rosen. I think I've made this point on the podcast before. Like... A pro-ready quarterback is a quarterback that we think is going to be able to win with his mind. But when he's on a college field, he's like the smartest player on the field. But when he goes to the NFL, he's automatically like the dumbest player on the field. So I don't think that term even really makes sense to me. Those players are not set up for success right away. Whereas a player like even Josh Allen, who clearly wasn't pro-ready. No one would have called him pro-ready. Everyone was calling him raw. He still had that physical ability that made him useful in an offense. Whereas Josh Rosen, yeah, he may have known, uh, known how to read defenses better than Josh Allen, but he wasn't useful as a quarterback. He wasn't playable. Josh Allen was, and then he eventually learned how to play the position to an adequate level, and now we're seeing where he's at in 2020. 
Speaking of uh, not useful quarterbacks, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, we've been talking about him all all year on the counter. Uh, used to be very uh, used to be very capable, uh, but this year has really not been able to push the ball downfield. And we've we've broken this down. I feel like we've looked at it pretty much on a week to week basis, uh, and finally decided in our last show that uh, he really was going to hold this team back because they're just not. They're not doing enough. And uh, Stephen wrote a long post last week. Great post sort of breaking down the drops of the wide receivers and said like, hey, some of this is on Ben Roethlisberger. And it turns out that Roethlisberger himself had said that uh, in a rare moment of Ben Roethlisberger not throwing people under the bus. He did the opposite. He threw himself under and said that I need to place the ball better. Uh, But the bigger issue is that he's just not able to use enough of the field to make the offense dynamic enough. Uh, So Steven took a little bit of a look at that and I'm, this is really fascinating. Just the uh, what what you found about how infrequently the Steelers have used play action, which we know. I mean, like, I feel like if we wrote down the rules of the counter, like the things that we believe, one of them is that play action is a hack, no matter what, for an offense. It just makes it easier for a quarterback. Uh, and the Steelers for a decade now have not used it as much as other teams uh, just seems to be something that Roethlisberger pro- I mean, you'd have to think it comes from somewhat from him because it's, it's carried over, over different uh, offensive coordinators that it's just not something he's comfortable with. But Steven explain to us what you saw when you, when you looked at this and sort of what, what you're taking from it as to why they're not able to attack parts of the field that the rest of the league can attack. So I think it's like a widely known thing that, the the area of the field that offenses want to attack or defenses want to defend first and foremost is the middle of the field. That's just the, it's easier to throw there. It's easier to make those throws than it is making throws on the perimeter. And the best way to do that is to call play action because you're drawing the linebackers up to the line of scrimmage that opens up more space. And if you look at the numbers and like the play action rates on throws that go over the, the middle, like it's most it's a lot of play action. That's how teams access that area of the field. And with the Steelers not doing that, they just can't access that area of the field where a lot of uh, passing games have a lot of success. So when they do throw deep, they're forced to throw outside because they're not using that play action and play action doesn't really matter on the perimeter because those cornerbacks aren't really reacting to run fakes. And Ben just can't make those throws because he doesn't have the arm anymore. He used to make those throws all the time. And that's why they could get away without using a lot of play action because they could still generate big plays in the passing game. Now they're not getting big plays anywhere. So they're, really dependent on those short throws. And once teams adjusted to it and realized, hey, we don't even have to, you know, really care about the deep part of the field. We could just hone in on those short passes. We've seen this offense really get congested and it's really been hard to watch. This has been like one of the most boring teams to watch over the last month. Man, one of the most boring teams to watch over the last. I mean, we all watched that Washington game. I just, I just, I just wanted to let that hang there for a second. That's uh, people in Pittsburgh, man. They still believe. Uh, I mean, it, would it be as simple as? It's funny because uh, we were all laughing earlier. The uh, Steelers <laughs> uh, offensive coordinator Randy Fickner today <laughs> said that they're going to practice throwing the deep ball more. Like, 
uh, I mean, it's just a hilarious, uh, like, obviously, this is out of context. This is just a tweet from Ed Bouchette, longtime uh, beat writer covering this, the Steelers, just said, he just tweeted literally that. Uh, so I don't know what the bigger context is, but like the idea that, like, oh, we just, we shit, we forgot to practice it. Like, we, we didn't, we didn't put it in there. We didn't have it in the plan. Like, we better work on it. Like, is it possible, like, with play action, could they just, at it now and maybe find some boost that they need in the postseason or uh, I don't know. I mean, is that, is that possible at this point? Uh, I, I don't think so. Like, I think the nerds always like scream like, Hey, call more play action and run more pre-snap motion. But like it has to function within the structure of your offense. And I don't know if it's just as simple as adding a play play action fake to uh to a past concept you already have in the playbook. So I don't know if it's possible to, to do it at this moment or maybe they got to do, do it in the off season, but they got to do something because they're not going to win a lot of playoff games with the way they're playing right now. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the four verts column. The first four verts over at for the win. Uh, Charles, how long have you been doing some version of this? Like, uh, tell me, the, tell me the story of how it, how it well, first came about. Uh, Honestly, if you uh, go back to the Washington Post, I think last week you can read a pretty interesting story <laughs> about uh, my exit from the Daily News. And uh, it was a bit after I had just kind of gotten fed up and was just done doing daily day to day Jets coverage. I was like, you know what? I want to do something that actually stimulates my mind. So I decided one night, I, me and my roommate Kofi. We were outside uh, drinking wine like one Monday night after like 1 a.m., uh, as we often do. And he was like, he, we, were, we were both like, you know, I think I should just do like a weekly column. Like, I feel like that'd be a fun way to just kind of cleanse my mind of what has happened this year. And uh, two days later, it was out on the Internet and it was really well received. And honestly, it just came from a. Uh, Dooming and drinking, as most good ideas <laughs> tend to do. Uh, but this first one, I uh, was—I think I spent most of my time talking about Zach Taylor, uh, the head coach of the Bengals. And if you're listening to this, I want you to just close your eyes <laughs> and try to picture what I what comes to, like what comes to your mind when you think of Zach Taylor, the head coach. <laughs> of the Cincinnati Bengals, one of 32 most coveted sports jobs in the world. I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing Toby Maguire. <laughs> hey, that's, that's close enough. I mean, it's, it's nothing, right? It's, I'm, it's, I'm uh, seeing the guy that you rented your car from the last time you were at enterprise. That's who I see. Right. Right. And there's the thing is like, there's, there's like nothing interesting about this guy. Like it, it's just, Everything about this this guy's Cincinnati run has just been an abject failure. Uh, if you want to go, because remember he was he was brought over from the Rams. He was a quarterbacks coach under Sean McVay, and he's basically just tried to run the exact same offense with like none of the talent. So if you uh, if you were able to look at Sports Info uh, Solutions, they have the Bengals with the fourth most snaps out of. Uh, 11 personnel, which is uh, one running back, one tight end. Then they throw, they've thrown 10 touchdowns out of that all season. Uh, I mean, name one Zach Taylor moment that you can think of that the Bengals have had since he got there last year. Uh, 
And now one of the funny things I had, look, I'm just going to power through that because I know you don't have any. Uh, <laughs> and one of the funny things that I found was he has fewer wins than Adam Gase does since the start of last season. And Adam Gase is currently sitting at like 0-13. And, and Adam Gase is like brought up as like the worst coach ever. Although I think right. Gus Bradley still holds that title. But this dude is worse. And I would argue that he has better talent on Cincinnati than Adam Gase ever had in New York. Yeah. I mean, part of that is is a little fraudulent with Adam Gase's 7-9 and nine record last year because they barely squeaked by the Bills backups to get to 7-9 and nine, uh, in Gase's first year. But th- th- think about this. Gase is 7-22 and 22 since the start of the 2019 season. Zach Taylor is 424 and one. He's won four games. Like <laughs> think about it. He's won four <laughs> games. We, we gave Hugh Jackson hell deservedly. So for winning one game in two seasons, and there's a chance that Zach Taylor will only win, finish with three more than that. It, it's just, it's baffling that, well, it's not baffling that no one seems to care because I mean, it's the Bengals and the Bengals, they stick at promoting their own players. Like if they had done a good job and actually put money forth, uh, you know, uh, promoting their own players, we probably would have known Andrew Withworth was like a Hall of Fame caliber left tackle before he ever got to the Rams. Uh, and the fact that they managed to stay under the radar so much is just impressive. Like if if Zach Taylor was in New York or any other city besides Cincinnati, he would be getting crushed by national media every week. But since he's in Cincinnati and we watch the Bengals like maybe once or twice a year when they get crushed by the Steelers like he's in that football, he just gets to walk away unscathed. And uh, I guess that's kind of the ethos of the four verse column. Like, you know, we get some stats and some real analysis in there, but we also get to point out the absurdity of Zach Taylor needs more heat. And if they let Zach Taylor get, you know, year two of banged up Burrow, that just seems like we might need to start draft a quarterback in like 2024. Yeah, that's a waste of year. I feel like he's Bob McAdoo's time in New York is what Zach Taylor's time in Cincinnati would be if there was like, if the media cared about Cincinnati. Like, Bob, like (laughs) McAdoo was, uh, went to the playoffs. And like I think they they went like six and ten the next year, but like it wasn't a total disaster like it's been with Zach Taylor. And Bob, he was like made fun of every week by everyone. Like they made fun of how he looked, the suits he was wearing, like what he. It, Zach Taylor doesn't get any of that, and it's probably because we don't know what Zach Taylor looks like. But the moment I gave up on Zach Taylor, like I wasn't excited by the hire at all. I don't think anybody was. Was. In the offseason, when I was, I think I was reading Football Outsiders, the chapter on them, and like they were one of the the last teams in play action rate. So you come over from Sean McVay and you're taking like all these parts of his offense, and that's the part you don't take is using play action for your terrible quarterback. Like what what are we doing here? Why why was he hired? I'll tell you what you do. They're lining up in eleven personnel every play and just getting pummeled, dude. Like it's so bad. they lost to the Cowboys this week. The, I, I know that the Bengals are banged up with, with Burrow out, but they lost to like the B team Cowboys squad thirty to seven. Like <laughs> how? How? Like how are you just this? Ugh, just barely even here. It, it just makes no sense. And I'll, I'll say, Steven, I, th- I think you might have mixed up your McAdoo. Oh, I did. I think I'm, I think you were you were saying Bob McAdoo. Ben McAdoo. Wanna, sorry. We, we, 
We should not slander uh, former NBA player. Bob. <laughs> hey, same guy. Uh, they, they basically look the same if you look at pictures of them. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, and also, when I wrote, I wrote like the piece on Burrow taking the sacks earlier this year. I totally forgot about that, by the way. Like, I mean, that just probably speaks to what Charles is saying: is that like no one cares about the Bengals coaching staff? Because I was like ripping the coaching staff the whole time during that that article, and I I already forgot about it. But they were calling basically. They my problem with it was they were calling empty on like third and long, which doesn't make any sense schematically. Like, why are you in an empty set? When usually empty is used for quick game, you want to get rid of the ball quickly. So if Burrow has to hold on to the ball a beat or two extra, and he only has five people in protection, like the the defense can just blitz the hell out of him, and that's what was happening. They were he was just getting sacked. While I don't agree with the people saying, "Oh, the Bengals got Joe Burrow hurt," I do agree that he was getting Burrow sacked way more than he should have been. Yeah, yeah, sign yeah, of a yeah. bad coach, right? And. Their offensive line talent is horrendous. Like Jonah Williams is the only capable star they have, and in the run game, he's a disaster too. But uh, if your offensive line is that bad, you got to do something as a coach to help him out. And you know, I remember, um, I remember I asked Adam Gase before the season when I was still covering the Jazz for the Daily News. I was like, because before the season even started, they were dealing with a ton of injuries, uh, especially wide receiver. And I asked Adam, I was like. Hey, so if you get to week one and you're still missing, you know, half your receiving crew, like what can you do to make life easier for Sam? And he didn't really have an answer for me. I was like, oh, okay, uh, <laughs> this is uh, not going to be good. He like he basically said it's up to the guy to catch the ball. I was like, okay, all right, cool. Well, I think we can see how this season's going to go. And you know, almost three months later, they don't have a win yet. So it, it's just kind of scary when you see guys that know where they're their personnel is deficient and they still can't do anything to make it up. Like, I, I don't think that anyone would, would care if Zach Taylor got like fired after the season, because you, if you're going to put Burrow behind this offensive line again next year, or, you know, do your best to upgrade it, but the chances that it's a good unit are probably still pretty slim. You're going to need a great play call to kind of mask some of those issues. And, uh, mm-hmm. you're, and it, not, not to say that the times like clocks running out on, like this Bengals team, but you know, AJ Green's getting up there. John Ross is probably going to be out the door soon. Like all you really have is Tyler Boyd and uh, T Higgins. And I think you probably need to add some more along with the play call to, to keep maximizing this thing as Joe Burrow gets back to his old self. Do you think they'll actually fire him though? I mean, it feels like the Bengals are so, I don't know. I don't know. Against action. I mean, right. Just- the, the problem is like the, the, the existential question is, is Mike Brown going to pay someone not to work for him? And I think the, the, <laughs> right. the answer that we have with Marvin Lewis coaching the team for a million years is probably no. So I, I think, should they fire him? Absolutely. Yes. But is Mike Brown cheap enough to let just the contract expire? So he's not paying someone to not do anything for him. Also, yes. Bring back Marvin Lewis, in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. That's the I mean, highlight he's making. He had him looking like a real team. That's true. That's why, like, people, are, I think his name has come up in coaching searches this season. And I, I'm not against it. I think that that yeah, would be a pretty good hire. Mike, Mike, Mike McCarthy got rehired. Right. right. Marvin Lewis should get shot, too. Come on. Uh, we, we're, we're not just here to complain about uh, problems. We, uh, you guys try to fix them sometimes, too. Uh, so we dropped a piece this week where you looked at the – what did we end up with? 18 teams that 
we've decided are out of playoff contention. No, that Nate Silver uh, has decided are out there. <laughs> Nate Silver, yeah, poor Miami Dolphins are on here. Vikings. Uh, but anyway, you guys uh, basically diagnosed what one thing you could do to uh, flip those teams the other direction, have them headed towards success. Uh, the Bengals, no surprise, you would have given them an offensive line. Uh, I'm not going to go through every team here. You guys can find this post at for the win ftw.usatoday.com uh, NFL tab. Scroll down, you'll see it. The missing piece for every NFL team already out of playoff contention. Uh, but I do want to ask you guys each for one pick uh, for a team that you think could actually do. Uh, which team do you will will do what you guys suggest here and will be good next year? I'm asking for sort of your your turnaround candidate for the 2021 season uh, and how they're going to get there. You go first, Steven. All right. I'm about I th- to disappoint myself. <laughs> yeah, Charles is such a nice guy. I think the most interesting one, and I don't know if they're going to do it, is the 49ers and maybe getting a new quarterback because they had the flexibility to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo this year if they want to. Right. Now, I don't know if they and want they to, and I think they should, and they have cap room. They have Jimmy G's no more dead money left on his deal. You could probably trade him if you wanted to and get some draft picks back. Maybe Matt Stafford is available. Maybe Cam Newton's available. There's a deep quarterback class. I think that is that could shape the offseason, kind of like Tom Brady going to the Bucks shaped this past offseason. But I think it would be a way more impactful acquisition because this team – we see, we saw it last year. They were ready to win a Super Bowl. They were one Jimmy G missed throw to Emmanuel Sanders away from beating the team that everyone thinks is unbeatable now. So that's the team that I want to see. I want to see what they do. I think they have a, a smart front office, at least like behind the scenes. I don't know. I really don't know how much work John Lynch is doing, but their cap guy is like a genius and just navigates all these problems that they have, that they could have. So that's the one I'm most looking forward to. All right. This is going to sound like Stockholm Syndrome, uh, but I am like super intrigued to see what the Jets look like this time next season. (laughs) Listen to this, because Makai Becton is like he's going to be if he keeps getting better, he's going to be a Hall of Fame left tackle. Uh, Mm -hmm. He's already one of like the five best in the league and definitely the most physically dominating one. Um, You got Denzel Mims, who is like at worst. One of the who like at worst can be one of the better number two receivers in the league, and I think if you have like if you have like Denzel Mims, Jameson Crowder, plus a big name receiver that you just just throw the money at like he's a freaking stripper at in free agency, you got Will Fuller, Allen Robinson. Kenny Galladay, like go, you got to get one of those three guys, right? Like if you're sitting right. here with an offense with Beckton, one of those three guys. Mims, Crowder, Trevor Lawrence. Come on now. You can't talk you can't talk yourself into that looking like a respectable team next year. Like if they have the if if they if they, if they get like a, a decent head coach. And yeah. I and honestly, to be honest with you, I think the Jets have underachieved this year. Like I don't think that yeah. this team is the quality of an 0 and 16 team, but that's absolutely where they're headed because I mean they're not gonna beat the Rams. Uh they're probably not going to beat the Patriots again. And then they uh, have to play the Browns as well. Like that's, 
like at, at best, I think you're looking at one in 15 there. And I think that that based on the collection of talent that they have, uh, not that it's even an 800 team, but, or, or, or a 500 uh, team that goes eight and eight, but uh, it's better. It's better than Owen 16. And I think if you can just swap out Trevor Lawrence for Sam Darnold and Joe Flacco, obviously that's a pretty big upgrade. And I think that, I think that there are legitimate conversations to have about how good Trevor Lawrence actually is, but I, I think he's undeniably a better option than what they are been fielding uh, out this year. If you can just swap those guys out, you got a pro bowler on the defensive line in Quentin Williams. You're going to have, you're going to have one thing that most teams don't have, which is cap space to really just throw at somebody who comes alive in free agency. And then you also have the extra pick from the Seahawks trade. Like if, if you can just get the quarterback in there or at least finish number one with the first pick. So you already have the quarterback in place. You can do whatever you want this offseason, season. And, and that's kind of why I also wrote what, what made the, the Cowboys interesting too. Like if you can get a clean bill of health, for, clean, clean bill of health for, uh, for Dak Prescott, that changes what you can do so much in the offseason. Like you can actually go make the upgrades on the defensive line that you need or make upgrades and, and add depth at, on the offensive line or, or find a, a talented running back to play with him. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> not, not so uh, – that was a pretty heavy-handed slight. But you I'm going. Uh, like just getting the quarterback situation under control – changes everything and basically if you can finish with the first overall pick you don't even have to worry about that like you you can attack the rest of the offseason as you want to and i'm just really intrigued to see what they look like next year it's it's like when you start a madden franchise and you just blow up the whole team and get to mold it how you want and they're in position to have you know a, a pretty damn good quarterback prospect prospect running their team next year yeah i so who's the head who's the head coach you'd want to um, That's a good question. i don't know i, I don't know uh Zach taylor <laughs> Look, let's not even go there because uh, I don't know if you guys saw his stuff when he was the OC at the Cincinnati Bearcats in college, but he uh, he command, commandeered the uh, 123rd scoring offense in FBS out of 128 teams. The so only five teams were worse at scoring the ball than Cincinnati the one year that he was offensive coordinator. Don't think we need him anywhere near Trevor Lawrence next year, uh, maybe as a cheerleader on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord, this man is going in on you had stuff still in the holster left over from the original Zach Taylor conversation. He's already, I, I could have written like a thousand words, but I can't have that much take up. So I, I have much that much space taken up the four words column. So I, I had to save this for for the podcast. But you know, I've I've honestly heard if the Eagles fired Doug Peterson, I've heard that that is actually a possible landing spot for him. The Jets, because you have the Joe Douglas connection. Mm-hmm. I don't know how excited I would feel about that if I was a Jets fan. Uh, I've also seen some Jets fans talk about even Marvin Lewis coming back and just making this look like a football team. But again, I think that's a good pick, honestly. It, but if you're going to get Trevor Lawrence, I don't know. Like I don't know that's how true. excited that makes me. Uh, I think you just kind of got to – just be be a New York football team and throw your big money at one of these offensive names that are going to come out and don't do what the Giants did. Like the Giants, like I think Joe Judge is working out for the Giants and they're happy with that now, but they wanted Matt Rule and they didn't even get him on the plane. So uh, be a New York football team, throw your money at an offensive mind that you trust and let's make this thing happen. I don't also don't think BNME is a possibility for them because uh, they picked Gase over BNME just last year. Yeah. And I think people are going to laugh at you saying throw money at a free agent like who would want to go to the Jets. But 
the Jets have been players in free agency the last couple of years. And don't forget, Le'Veon Bell was like, I, I'm not playing for the Jets. You're going to have to pay me a bunch of money. And then like a year later, he signed with the Jets. So yeah, it's very might, possible. But think about it. If yeah. look, like, Let's say it's a job that you don't want to go. Like, I, Let's say you don't want to go work for said organization. But hey, if they throw you the, the CJ Mosley bag, $85 million over five years, you might reconsider it. <laughs> money talks. And uh, the Jets are going to have more than like anyone in the league next year. CJ Mosley, a hero for everyone. He's played like four games, if even that, and has I made a two. ton of money. Oh, it's two. It's two. <laughs> even more of a hero. Bill, that man is a statue. Yeah. Uh, generally, we don't go back to the Monday night game, but uh, since the Ravens-Browns game was really an instant classic, uh, largely because of the jokes people made about Lamar Jackson running back to the locker room and missing part of the second half before coming back to lead the Ravens to a 47-42 win. Uh, but I'm interested in your uh, what you guys think, because you, you both saw that you, you foresaw that the Ravens would win this game and really sort of emerge a little bit from a funk that they've been in uh, and maybe get toward, uh, you know, a team that might make the playoffs and, and really be uh, – I don't think they're, you know, I don't think at any point, Stephen, you've had them in the Chiefs tier this year, but you sort of thought that they would be a more formidable team. And, and so I think you saw that this game might push them toward becoming that version of themselves. Uh, what did you take away from it? I mean, this this game was so fun to watch. It was so interesting. I mean, there were so many storylines, like everyone was making fun of the fact that they thought Lamar Jackson had to go poop. Uh, like, but what do you see on the field, what do you take forward for this Ravens team and Lamar, who was, you know, we I think we ended the show last time saying like he's he's a little embattled and he needs to, you know, we're hoping that he shows who he is as a player. I think obviously he did, but what did you see? Uh, I came away from the game probably lower on the Ravens now and maybe a little higher on the Browns. The, I thought the Browns offense impressed me. And the Ravens defense did not impress me, but I will say that like Calais Campbell's just coming back and I don't know, this isn't the team at full strength. So maybe they'll rebound in the coming weeks, but I mean, I wasn't surprised what we saw out of Lamar. That's what I expect out of him. I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And when everything just isn't awful around him and that wasn't even the case on Monday, like he had no help on Monday and he was just brilliant and just carried that team on his back. And like his detractors are going to be like, Oh, he wasn't really throwing the ball, but when he did throw the ball, the guys weren't catching the ball. So he, he did what he could do and he wasn't getting any protection in the pocket. I thought it was one of the most, are the best performance from a quarterback. It's not the best, but one of the best performances from a quarterback that we've seen all season. And, one example of a, a player just putting an entire team on his back. Yeah, I think even the ESPN's QBR number would support you on that. He got a 99.5 for the game, uh, which I, I, from how I interpret that stat, it basically means like if your quarterback performs like that, you will win like 99.5. Yeah, that, I think that's what it's supposed to be. It, like uh, I, I tweeted that and some Bears fan was like, well, Trubisky had a 98 or like 114. And I was like, this is not passer rating. God, you did not have a good – we had a 62 QBR. <laughs> yeah. To the, Lamar, I mean, it just goes to show, like, how silly, like, some of this stuff people say about him is. Like, if he can just get an ounce of help, they – like, the Ravens can can score on anybody. And I, I, I kind of agree with Steven in the fact that, like, I'm a little down on the Ravens after this game because they didn't win how I thought they were going to win. 
because uh, I thought that they were just going to like put the clamps on Baker Mayfield and uh, Stevens and Kevin Stefanski just kind of avoided all of that. Like he, I thought Stefanski called an absolutely brilliant game. Uh, Nick Chubb was excellent, and then Baker did enough on like that last drive to to kind of keep it interesting for the Browns at the end. But uh, I, I just think that. If you're like when you watch this game, like the takeaways for me is like watch what Lamar Jackson has to do to generate a good offense and watch what Baker Mayfield has mm-hmm. to do to generate a good offense. It's like they're playing completely different sports. And, uh, you know, part of that is just like the Ravens thinking Lamar is that dude. And, and to a degree he is. But Lamar had 124 of the Ravens, 231 rushing yards. He had two of their five touchdowns. He comes back after the cramps or the poop, whatever it is. And on the first play back, he rolls out and throws Hollywood Brown open for a touchdown. And the funny thing is, like, if you go back and you watch the play, Hollywood is, like, stuck on a jam between two Browns defenders. Once Lamar rolls out, they have to bring his atten- their attention back to him. Hollywood breaks free, and he just lost a dime, like, perfectly where he needs to go, right in stride for a touchdown. And, like, w- w- this offense, it can't function without Lamar playing at a high level. And – the hard thing is, like, in order for them to do that, it requires for him to play at a high level every single week, which, you know, he won MVP last year, and obviously he was excellent. And, uh, like, a Steven, I think he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league and has, like, not just staying, not, not just playing well now, but also has, like, tremendous staying power for the future. Uh, you know, it, it's it's hard for a third-year player to need to carry that load every single week to keep – to keep pacing the shootout, but that's reality of the situation for the Ravens. And uh, I'm, I'm just interested to see what happens the rest of the way with them, because like if Lamar is just going to put on shows like that and he has the Jaguars giants and Bengals to close the season, like there's no reason to think like he can't do that a couple more times. Maybe the giants would be a, a tough out for him, but you know, he's got a good match with the rest of the way. If they can get into the playoffs, I'm interested to see what Lamar superhero mode third year, got a little bit more season on him looks like in the playoffs. Yeah, we saw superhero mode on Monday, and they scored 42 points. So if the defense just plays a little better, even if that's up against the Chiefs, if you score 42 points, you're in the game. And it's not like the Chiefs' defense is that much better than the Browns' defense. So I think they have a shot if Lamar goes into God mode again, and he's fully capable of doing it. And one thing I don't think people like point out enough is this is his supporting cast on his rookie deal. Like the Ravens have not done a good job of building around him. Like the scheme, I guess, fit him, or at least it did last year, but it hasn't evolved any. The supporting cast is pretty bad. The offensive line has taken a major step back and they didn't really fix it in the offseason. So he's doing all this in spite of what's around him. And there are only a handful of quarterbacks that I could that I can think of that could make this particular offense look viable. And all those guys are elite quarterbacks. Yeah, and I, I I agree with you 100% on their offseason. They did not do enough on offense. I think they got kind of complacent, like, oh, we got Lamar back there. We'll be okay. But, you know, there's no way to foresee Ronnie Stanley getting hurt for the year. But you you, you we all knew Marshall Yonda was probably going to retire, and he did. And you guys didn't really do anything to get that back. We all knew that you needed another dude at receiver, and you didn't really get anybody uh, outside of, like, the day two and day three picks at receiver. Uh, and you lost Hayden Hurst, who was like quietly a vital part of that offense last year, and, and you didn't really put a, another field stretcher tight end to, uh, to to replace him. So you know you lose some key parts of your offense. You don't take strides where you need to at, uh, at other positions, and you end up with Lamar. Like 
in a situation where he's got to be Superman and it worked on Monday night, but moving forward, you probably want to get him some help. And I, I think that as hard as we saw the Ravens go on defense this past offseason, they're probably going to do the same on offense because they're they're not morons. They, like they, I think they know what's going on here. Yeah, they have to. I mean, this is their – they have a window and it's – like, But I would say – Like the PC you guys – I would say their window is bigger than other people's just because even when yeah. Lamar signs, he's going to be – he's going to be fine. Like he'll never be a problem. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's talk week 15. Uh, like we said, not not the most exciting slate of games. Uh, Chiefs-Saints stands out as a 425 game. Uh, Kansas City is a three-point favorite only. Uh, I don't know. I guess that's respect towards the Saints defense, even though uh, they lost to Jalen Hurts and the Eagles <laughs> last week. Uh, how do you guys see this one breaking down? Uh, I have a take, and it's probably oh. a bad take. And probably one that you guys are going to be surprised that I have. But I think this game would be far more interesting and the and the Saints might have a better chance if Taysom Hill plays instead of Drew oh, Brees. Oh, what? Flame me for that that take uh, if it's bad. Well, I know I mean I know that you don't you haven't loved Breeze, so I don't I'm the take is is frying my brain, honestly. I can't even like it's not just that Breeze like Breeze has looked a little washed at times this year. Like in the first month he was just straight up bad. And then he kind of right, discovered right. himself yeah. and then but now he's missed time. We don't know what he's going to look like. And yeah. the Chiefs' run defense is really bad. And Taysom Hill at least gives you a boost in the run game. So I don't know. I think I'd be more interested in this game if Taysom Hill started. I'd be most interested if Jameis Winston started. I think he gives them the best chance against the Chiefs because you need like a high-variance type player, a guy that could throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns to even have a chance against this team. But, yeah, I'm picking the Chiefs no matter what. Who starts a quarterback? <laughs> yeah, Chiefs, uh, for all the reasons you said. I, mean, I also agree that I, I'm, I'm not I, – I guess I, I shouldn't be surprised if Breeze suits up, but I don't know. It, it doesn't I'm, – I'm not fully convinced that he does, so hope, I'm holding out hope that, uh, that Taysom Hill can actually kind of get some burn this week. Taysom Hill in a shootout would be hilarious to watch. It would. <laughs> Let's root for that just for the entertainment. Uh, value uh, Seahawks versus the football team we kind of thought was somewhat interesting just because uh, the football team's defense is really good and the Seahawks have been the Seahawks uh, they've been sort of up and down uh, never really winning convincingly since early in the season when Russell Wilson was was really dominant he's sort of come back into himself and is the Russell that Wilson that we expect uh, Seattle's a five and a half point favorite in this one, it's in D.C. So, or not D.C., wherever that game is, but it's on the East Coast. Uh, so Seattle has to travel. What do you guys think about this one? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually like highly, highly intrigued in this game. After uh, I, I watched a bunch of tape of Washington's front seven versus San Francisco last week, and dude, there are some monsters up there. Uh, John Allen is playing crazy good football. Chase Young is a beast. Montez Sweat has like quietly turned into one of the best defensive ends in football that no one talks about, uh, and they just have so much depth across the interior. Like even like if you're looking at a defensive line where Ryan Kerrigan and Deron Payne like your fourth and fifth best players, like you, not a lot of many people are going to be able to block you. Um, and I just think that their matchup against Seattle's offensive line is, puts them in a really good place. And also just as a whole, and I know that the defensive line is definitely the engine of that defense, but 
Washington defense has played really good football like since like the the midpoint of the season. Since week nine, they're fourth in EPA on defense, uh, according to Ben Baldwin's numbers on on uh, his box score site. And like when you watch them play, it makes sense because they are just totally overwhelming up front. Like I wrote a little bit in this week's four verse column about. Uh, Chase Young's performance against San Francisco, but you know he's going toe to toe with Trent Williams like it's nothing, and yeah. you, you see that from a, a rookie, and you got Montez Sweat, Sweat on the other side who's taking major strides. I mean, you know, as much as boring as their offense can be to watch, especially you know with Alex Smith, this version of him not being really able to push the ball downfield at all. At all uh, that defensive line is just so good that you can keep them in games and. I just want to see really like the, I guess the part of this game that really has me laser focused is how do like these young athletic defensive ends and John now in the middle, like how do they kind of account for Russell Wilson just kind of running away and running out of the pocket? But like, that's going to be the matchup for me because I think if they can put the clamps on that or at least just keep them in the pocket and able to figure out how to, to get them down to the ground, then, you know, I, I think Washington can actually win this game. Uh, Maybe it'll be, be a little bit harder if Alex Smith is out and Dwayne Haskins is back in, but uh, maybe even like the physical presence that Haskins has can, can give this offense maybe just a little bit more juice if they lose, even if they lose the consistency on a, on a play-to-play basis. Yeah, this thing kind of reminds me of the pre-Sean McVay Rams, like when they had that monster off a uh, defensive line, and they always yeah. played well against the Seahawks. Like there was a couple upsets in there, but they always kept it close. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the same thing. And the thing about their line, it's not just that they're really good. They're, like, really strong. And I think they can control offensive linemen and kind of keep Russell Wilson contained in the pocket if that's what they want to do and, you know, kind of break off their blocks if he does try to scramble. And those are the kind of defenses that give him the most trouble, the ones that can keep him in the pocket. And they have played a lot of too high, which has given Seattle problems all season long. So – I really think this is a good matchup for the Washington football team, but I don't know who's playing quarterback for them, so I'm afraid to pick them. Yeah, I guess if I had to pick, I'd probably go Seattle, but I I think that this this Washington team can definitely keep it close. All right, let's talk Browns-Giants. That's the Sunday night game, Uh, and (laughs) Charles had a fun post today uh, that – this this is this has become a revenge game uh, for for a couple of giants. Yeah, uh, Freddie Kitchens, who uh, <laughs> was the head coach last year, was touted as an offensive genius at one point. Uh, managed to kind of run that offense to the ground. He was fired by the Browns and was hired by Joe Judge to be the Giants' tight end coach. And uh, Jason Garrett has caught coronavirus. Uh, like millions of other people in this country, and he won't be able to call plays on Sunday night. So Freddie Kitchens is taking over. He's going to get some revenge against the Browns, who uh, look absolutely 100% correct in their decision to move on from Freddie Kitchens to Kevin Stefanski. And uh, Stefanski has the Browns to make the play, poised to make the playoffs for the first time since 2002, which I found to be a little bit surprising because uh, the Browns went 10 and 6 in 2007. That one random year, Derek Anderson made the Pro Bowl, but uh, they lost like some tiebreaker to, I think, the Titans or the Colts, and they, they didn't get into that six seed spot. But, you know, they're going to make the playoffs probably for the first time since 2002. And then uh, Freddie Kitchen, maybe he could play a little bit of spoiler uh, in their efforts to get there on Sunday. And also, Daniel Jones 
is looking like he might miss a game on Sunday due to shoulder and hamstring injuries. And that would pave the way for Colt McCoy to uh, start. And if you guys don't remember, Colt McCoy was drafted by the Browns <laughs> in 2010. And I did not. He, I did not remember that. Yo, he quietly had like one of the one of the better rookie seasons in Browns history, uh, which is a sad thing to say. But uh, I think they went two and six in like the eight games he started. And he averaged 7.1 yards per attempt that season, which was higher than Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Brett Favre, Matt Ryan, and a whole bunch of other quarterbacks that you would know. Now, now, don't go back to that season and sort by like QBR or by like uh, uh, like <laughs> measures that do a better job of measuring quarterback play than yards per attempt because uh, those guys, you know, unsurprisingly scored very high in those marks. I think Matt Ryan and Peyton Manning were both like top four in QBR that season, where Cole McCoy was not. But for that one stat, yards per attempt. Cole McCoy had them beat. So the Browns let go of a prodigy and Colt McCoy is going to get his revenge. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was the same pitch Colt McCoy's agent gave the Giants. So they convinced him. Like, Look at his 2010 or whatever year it was, yards for a tap. That was that, that he had not actually thrown a pass since 2010, I think. So uh, <laughs> far back, they had to go. It was it was a long. Yeah, I also appreciate that. I wouldn't. Be, I would not. Be, I would not deny that fact. If you just told me that, I wouldn't even look it up. Yeah, that sounds about right. I hasn't thrown a pass in a decade. <laughs> I appreciate the research of Chuck going back and seeing the tiebreakers and how the Browns missed the playoffs when they went ten and six that one year. <laughs> but, you know what? The, the Giants should just bring back or bring in Hugh Jackson as a consultant and just really make this a revenge game. Just Put all their brain power together and to take down these Browns. Uh, do we think the Giants have any chance at this? I kind of like that defense against this offense, but I I've mean, been saying that every week. So my my viewing guy for this game is uh, turn the channel when it's Browns defense versus Giants offense, but definitely be glued <laughs> in when it's Browns offense versus Giants defense because. You know, honestly, like if you go back and watch that Cardinals game last week, like they got screwed. The Giants' defense did right. in terms of just horrible field position over and over and over again. Like I think the Cardinals' first possession started on the Giants' nine yard line, and they came away with zero points. Like this defense is pretty, it's pretty good. Like when you give them a chance to actually play, like I think that if you if you, if you just look at the final score of the Cardinals Giants game, I think it was something like twenty six to seven or twenty three to seven. That's a little bit misleading. I thought the defense played pretty well. It's just hard when you get short fields and you have to start with your back against your own end zone every single time because Daniel Jones is fumbling the ball. Deion Lewis is fumbling the ball. Uh, and it, it, it's just kind of a mess. So, like, I think Stefanski versus Patrick Graham, actually a pretty good matchup. And uh, that's going to be something to actually be very, very interested in on Sunday. Even though James Bradbury is out with coronavirus. That just got announced. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm just seeing that. Huh. Uh, all right, let's buzz through the rest of the games. Uh, we, we're starting Saturday games this oh, week. Who asked uh, for this? We're, the, we're right. that, like, we're that time of the season. No, no, it's it's too much. Uh, there's money to be made, though. Uh, let's do the Thursday night game. Uh, just just why not? Chargers, Raiders. Uh, Raiders are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Oh, I'm going Chargers. I, I'm, I love Justin Herbert, and I, I, whatever the opposite of love is for Derek Carr. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go Chargers, too, because – the Raiders have one of the worst defenses in the league, and I think that Justin Herbert is more than talented enough to shred them. Also, they just fired their defensive coordinator on a short week, which I feel like was a dumb move. Uh, a, yeah, it's John Gruden, though. He's got uh, like six years left on his contract, so he can do whatever he wants. <laughs> Bills Broncos is the early game on Saturday. Buffalo is a six-point favorite. Uh, uh, Buffalo. Buffalo. Right? There's no reason to pick against them. Like 
Yeah, I'm not giving Drew Lock yeah. any of my time. Next game. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, why were why were these the two Saturday games? Bills, Broncos, and Packers, uh, Panthers. Were they expecting these to matter? I don't know. Uh, but maybe they're just giving uh, NCAA a little blowout game so we can watch the uh, SEC championship games and yeah, that's good watch point. more exploited lately. Yeah. Uh, Panthers Packers is the second game, as Steven said. Green Bay is an eight and a half point favorite. Will Packers cover. Yep. I think Aaron Rodgers throws for five touchdowns. Oh yeah, against that defense, he's going to throw a lot of touchdowns. I, I wouldn't be surprised though if the the Panthers' offense has some success. I think that defense under Mike Pettin is exploitable, and I have faith in Joe Brady. So maybe that game will be better than I'm giving it credit for. Uh, Bucks Falcons. Tampa Bay is a six point favorite. Uh, Tampa Bay. <laughs> Come on. I mean, the, the Falcons offense is just in complete disarray right now. Uh, and maybe like Tampa Bay, they're, they haven't been great on defense over the past like five or six weeks, but this is a get-right game for them. Dirk Cotter has no idea what he's doing. Uh, and if you check that missing pieces article, I basically just said the Falcons need an offense from this century if they want to get back on track. Right. I can't disagree with anything he said. 49ers Cowboys uh 49ers are only a three-point favorite I mean I guess both these teams are a mess but <sighs> this is tough yeah. but like not for the reasons that makes it an interesting game like they, <laughs> they, like they just don't yeah. stink <laughs> I was gonna say that exact thing like this is like <laughs> this could be like a close game that like I don't want to watch at all like it could be like a an overtime thriller and I'm just like nah I'm good all right. Well, Steven, whoever you pick, I'll just pick the opposite. <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh I'm gonna go with Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, All right, I'm taking Mike McCarthy, man. Uh, oh, oh, that's rough. Uh Lions Titans. Tennessee's an eleven point favorite. Eleven? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, weird to me. You know what a more interesting question. Does Derrick Henry continue to run for two hundred yards this week? Ooh, against the Lions? Yeah, I feel like yeah, like he's going to start out with 150. <laughs> like, <laughs> on, the first, on the first play of the game, he's going to run for 150 yards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to pick the Titans just because I don't have any faith in – I don't even know who's running the defense right now. Like, if someone told me it was still Matt Patricia, that they just, like, demoted him to defensive coordinator, I would totally buy it. it so. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm going to pick the, the Titans to win, but I don't know about that line. I feel like, well, is Stafford playing? Big line. Um, I we should know these that. things. I, I, I think so. I'm definitely not looking up right now. I will say that the line center, oh, like, uh, broke his throat and can't talk, which might be an issue trying to sort out protections. Well, actually, Matthew Stafford did not practice on today, Thursday, which, you know, if you follow NFL – uh, injury news that usually is not a good sign for him playing on Sunday. Right. All right. 11 points make sense. I'm going to take yeah, the Titans. Yeah, Titans then. All right. There we go. Uh, Texans, Colts. Colts are a touchdown and a half. Favorite. I've been like picking the Texans in our picks post every week just because Deshaun Watson can overcome so much. And it's it served. It didn't it didn't work last week because he got decimated by the Bears defense. But when they played the Colts a couple weeks ago, they were like four yards away from winning that game. So I'm going to take the points, yeah, right. the Texans. Yeah, I'm going to take the points and the Texans as well. I mean, I just like Deshaun Watson. I feel like he, he just plays kind of well against Indianapolis. And if you can get him inside away from the soldier field, it might be give him, give him a better chance with us, the lack of weapons that are currently around him. But uh, I, I just think he's going to put on some Superman, Superman stuff and uh, and keep his thing rolling. Two of five and 11. Uh, Patriot, Patriots, Dolphins. Dolphins are a three-point favorite. 
<sighs> yeah, I'm going to convince myself to take the Patriots just because I'm. It's Cam Newton, and I'm. Well, make, I will. A case, make, a, make a small case for it right now. All right, here's my case for it. <laughs> I don't even have anything. Uh, the, the Dolphins are going to win. I'm an idiot. The Dolphins are going to win. Yeah, it, it just sucks because, like, the Dolphins' talent on defense is is so much better than what the Patriots have on offense. I mean, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, like, they're going to shut down whatever New England throws at them. Like, this is a different Dolphins team than they played in the first week of the season. They've right. really figured out how to, to play within that scheme and be aggressive. It's just, hey – the cam doesn't have enough to work with to beat this to beat this team uh and i think that even the dolphins uh offense like the, they can bully the patriots defensive line just like just about any team can so yeah i, I don't think this is going to be a very high scoring game but i think the dolphins probably win and, and win by a little bit more than three points and the dolphins defensive line is like low-key good like not in a way that's noticeable but they're it, it's kind of like an old Patriots line where everyone's like strong and huge and big and can control gaps. And that's going to be a big deal against a Patriots offense. That's just like 70% run right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, Bears Vikings is also a three point line. Minnesota is favored. <sighs> like, why are these teams still playing? <laughs> like, honestly, you should earn the right to be playing in December amid a, a pandemic. pandemic. Yeah, yeah. We don't need this. We don't. Who needs who's asking for Bears Vikings? I'm not asking for it, but I'm going to take the Vikings. I've kind of been impressed by Kirk Cousins. And one thing I like about Kirk Cousins, like I've, I, I was always a guy that was like rooting against Kirk Cousins because I never thought he was as good as his numbers like show. But he seems to be a guy that like knows himself and like knows his limitations. Like there was like. A couple of years ago, he was like, yeah, I, I pretty much need play action to be good. <laughs> so I, I kind of like Kirk Cousins in that situation. So I'm going to root for him and I'm going to pick him. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'll pick the Vikings for whatever Steven just said. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he tuned out once I started defending Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Honestly, that's literally exactly what happened. I heard, you know, I kind of like Kirk Cousins. My brain just kind of shut off. Nobody should ever defend Kirk Cousins. Fair, fair. Like the people on Twitter that uh, like stand for Kirk Cousins and Ryan Tannehill, like I get that they're putting up good numbers, but how is that fun? <laughs> right. Uh uh, Ravens are a 13 point favorite over the Jags. I'm just going to go ahead and Ravens. give say you guys are picking. Yeah, I will say yeah. if I could find a if I if I was interested in uh, if I was someone that was interested in gambling and uh, was looking for a prop bet for the Ravens over like 250 yards rushing, I would definitely take that. There you go. I like it. Adding prop bets. Rams, Jets. Rams are 17 and a half point favorite. Rams. Uh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I should probably follow the guy that covered this monstrosity of a team for the last year and a half or whatever it was. But 17 points is a lot of points. Yeah, I thought the same points, thing about man. the uh, Seahawks game last week. And then- <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Good lord. Uh, yeah, I I will say that I think the Jets just gave up after the Raiders thing, the cover yeah. zero call. Like I don't I think they're just like, yeah, we're going 0 16. It's happening, yeah. whatever. Uh Eagles are a six point underdog to the Cardinals in Arizona. Thoughts. I don't know. I don't I don't trust this line with whatever whatsoever. Um yeah. because I I, I don't know if the Cardinals are like six points better than that many teams right now outside of like the straight up bottom feeders like the Jets and the Jaguars. But but also like if if it turns into a shootout, can Jalen Hurts keep him in the game? Like that's one thing that I have a question about too. So 
if, if I could pick stay away, I think I'd go stay away. But since I'm so unsure and I don't know if the Cardinals are that much better than any team right now, I think I'll go with the Eagles just to cover the spread. But Cardinals will win. Yeah, I'm going to take the Eagles, too, because I don't have faith in Cliff knowing how to attack that secondary. Like one of the ways people have been attacking is just getting good matchups. And that's like not a thing Cliff has been doing. So I don't even trust him to exploit DeAndre Hopkins on whoever is going to be covered. Like Cravion LeBlanc, is he still a thing in no. Philadelphia? <laughs> Sounds like a dessert. <laughs> yeah. What <are> you... <laughs> never, never knew he was a thing. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Sounds about right. Uh, Steelers Bengals is the Monday night game. So oh, we get to we'll preview that Monday. We'll preview that Monday. You can you need to do more Zach Taylor research. Yeah, we we might preview that, that Monday. <laughs> we are not going to preview that Monday. I refuse to talk about it. I will walk off. No, no. We, we'll see how the weekend more. goes. We'll see how our, our mental we'll walk off. Uh, Charles, you have uh, a fun piece that should be coming on Monday. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're working on? Yeah. Uh, so I interviewed the people who do the Monday Night Football graphics. Uh, an idea that I, I was, uh, I was funny. I, I was in a, a group chat with uh, my friend Jordan Rodriguez, who covers the Rams for the Athletic, and my other friend Marcel uh, Luis Jaquez, who covers the Bills for ESPN. And we were in just a little group chat, and Jordan was like, "Charles, you should interview the people who do the Monday Night graphics because it's just so wacky, and I feel like that's a story that you would enjoy doing." And that was 100% correct. Uh, so I hit them up. Uh, I got to talk to them for like half an hour yesterday. They are like this. They, they, they are the epitome of take your work seriously, but not yourself. Like they like the process for them coming up with these uh, graphics is like just as goofy as you think it would be. But they are also like really, really smart guys who who, who, who get how to make analysis fun. So I think that that's like for, from talking to them, that's kind of the purpose of it. Uh, making an analysis fun and getting the broadcast uh, to be a little more lively. And uh, we all, you guys can read uh, the full thing on Monday. I'm excited for that one. Uh, that's all we got for today. Thanks for joining us here at the counter. Find all of us on Twitter. Uh, Charles is four verts at four verts. Steven is at the Steven Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman and read us over at for the win. We'll be hanging out Sunday, uh, writing about whatever's happening in the league. Steven's take dump comes out Monday morning. The four verts column is Tuesday and our next episode should drop Monday. At some point we'll review week 15, uh, probably Monday early afternoon. Thanks for being here. Take care. The counter. An NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.